Cheers. Cheers. Good week. It has been, actually. And such a good week. Um, we're finally at a point where we can talk about a fascinating case that we worked on. Yeah, so we're going to do a case study now in a three-part series for um, many of our viewers who've asked for a case study. So, And this... each part will be fascinating, so make sure... You... That's on you. <laughs> no, it will be. It will be. I'm guaranteeing you up front. So we have to be careful not to give away any names, but this is a case Or study. identifying information. Yeah, so we gave, we just finished this case about two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's interesting is uh, it's a typical situation where this individual, uh, he was charged out of a relationship where he was with an individual for about three years. Mm-hmm. And, and he had... Um, got into this relationship after a divorce where, unfortunately, the allegations which he was charged with, which included sexual assault, uttering threats, a number of assault charges, forcible confinement, and other things, resulted in him having problems in his previous case, getting access to his children. So he was actually alienated from his kids as a result of the allegations in this charge. And it brings into play a number of important factors and underlying issues that we talk about on a regular basis throughout all of our podcasts about why we are concerned about these type of accusations, how they can be used against an individual, male or female, Mm -hmm. which winds up not only ostracizing them, but then resulting in issues with their kids. And this was a false allegation. It was, absolutely. And I'll explain at the moment that I figured out it was false. Um, Yeah, so this is a good story. So, But but also I want to point out off the top that um, one of the reasons that he didn't want to get married, which was a big issue in this case, and one of the reasons that she was so angry with him, one of the reasons he didn't want to get married was because of his previous bad experience in marriage. And, And I think it's important to understand that men are actually sensitive and they're, you know, and, and they get damaged in divorce. And so, you know, I just, I just want to put that out there um, uh, because it's a truth that's sadly understated. <laughs> no, I think that's an important point. So he had um, gone through a separation, was uh, in a divorce, had custody issues, found this woman he thought he was in love with, started a relationship, but had real concerns about formalizing it. Mm-hmm. Did not want to move in together, and that resulted in other problems. And he had trauma. He had legitimate trauma from his previous marriage where the children were being used as a pawn. And that had an impact on how he viewed this relationship that related uh, into charges. Yeah. And they set up a marriage date and I got canceled because yeah. cold feet and all this other stuff. And so explain, explain how this unfolded so, and how you looked at some of the evidence right. as we got it at the start. So when, when we start with a criminal case, of course, the client comes to us and retains us. And then we ask through... Uh, written process to get the disclosure, which is the statement of the complainant and any other supporting evidence, police officers' notes, medical reports, photographs, messages, etc. So we get that and then we start analyzing it. So I started reading the the statement of the complainant and it sounded like what could be potentially a legitimate abusive relationship. And uh, I always actually, when I read these things, I I try to see it through the eyes of a, a prosecutor when I'm reading the statement the first time. What's believable, what isn't? I'm thinking, you know, I can believe this. I can believe this. He might be a monster. I don't really know. And then I get to an allegation and there's a whole bunch of, and then he just punched me in the head for no reason, right? Could happen. But then I get to an allegation that they went to a casino and um, in the casino, 
he apparently loses a whole bunch of money, which can happen. And then at an ATM in the middle of the casino, um, he gets angry at her and starts punching her in the head with a diamond ring and nobody does anything. And she runs out of the casino and he chases after her and then push, fish hooks her in the mouth and starts like, you know, pounding her again. And she's like, yeah, there were lots of people watching and nobody did anything. And then she's like, and then he drags her to the car and takes her home, right? This allegation gets a little bit embellished later on. Yeah, and so- But I'm like, what? <laughs> All this is to have occurred during hours at a casino, which is a well-known casino in Ontario, where there is surveillance and security, and it's all within the view of everybody with actually a description of a brutal assault. And I can oh, yeah. already see from our audience on, on, on site, we've got a weird face happening here. We have both male and female, and of course, Marcy, my wife, and you're all looking skeptical about this. But this was something yeah. that was like, as you're reading, so we, we get the video statement, we transcribe it. So we send it to a court reporter to be transcribed because reading it for me is better. There are a lot of people who like to read it on their computer system. I actually print it out in paper format so I can actually read it like a normal person and absorb it. And, and make notes. And too. make notes. And so that stood out to you and, and things started to change in your mind as oh, you were assessing Oh, as soon as I read it. that, I'm just like, that's absolute bullshit. Yeah. There's no way in hell. It's our podcast. We can and, swear. And also, I know we'll get bleeped, but... Uh, <laughs> But also, she says the whole thing. She says the whole the whole thing started at an ATM machine. And I'm thinking of all the places in the casino that they're going to have security and video and all this other stuff and be monitoring. It's going to be anywhere that money takes place. It's an ATM in the casino. Yeah. So, right? but anywhere okay, money so is at that point, you and start also to go. the entrances and exits, right? Because if somebody robs them and then tries to run it, so all and she's saying that he's chasing her out the out in the front through the through the entrance. All of these places are going to be the most monitored. They have cameras monitoring over people's shoulders to see if they're counting cards. Right. So, so what what really set you off at that point when reading through it was Liars that, that allegation. I hate, I hate them. That allegation seemed completely implausible. Oh, right? it's absolutely implausible. So then, as we go through the statement and we break it down into chart format, we arrive at various inconsistencies and implausibilities in the statement that lead us to then make a general analysis about how several aspects are fabricated. Mm -hmm. Then we go to our client and we ask our client to produce to us something called a chronology, which is give us your history of your relationship with this individual. Mm -hmm. And then also in there- And don't write one big paragraph that goes on for 11 pages. Yes, we asked him to double space it, <laughs> use paragraphs and try and do grammar check before you send it to us. With headings. With headings. Uh, surprisingly, we can get sometimes like 12 pages, just single. Yeah. It's, it's, an, it's difficult. Just one big long paragraph. But what we want them to do is give us their have. chronology and then what their version of this event was mm -hmm. along with all the other allegations and then we move on from there. Mm -hmm. But what was really interesting here was as we started to go through the statement with the client and then looking at other source material, it started to become clear that there were a lot, there was a lot of information that the complainant had been not accurate about, or if I can put it more, more poignantly, lying about. And can you tell us about the process of when we wanted to, and just be gentle, about how we wanted to get from the client 
the messaging between them and how sometimes this is very important in a case. Well, I, w I will be gentle because I, I sympathize. So th the first meetings were difficult because he was, first of all, terrified. He was yeah. charged. Um, he was also sobbing most of the time and just saying, you know, save me, save me. I didn't do this. I, I swear to God, I swear to God. And was like, okay, well, you know, that doesn't help us, right? We need to talk about the actual, he could not focus because this, this relationship was so such a roller coaster for him and he was so emotional about it that he couldn't even stand to look at his own messages. So I had to actually try and help him get into his email to try and find stuff. Um, he, he almost couldn't even hear what we were saying to him at the beginning. And then when they finally had a friend help him out and then we ended up getting a whole bunch of screenshots and messages that he sent me on I'm sorry, I have to pause for this. It's painful. He sent them to me on WhatsApp. <laughs> I got hundreds of screenshots sent to me on WhatsApp with nothing but strings of letters and numbers to identify each photo. You gotta speak now, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm gonna cry. <laughs> Can you explain how bad that is? Yeah, it was, it was bad. So, on, so when you exp here, okay, let's get technical for a second. I know. So if you have, <laughs> you're being dramatic. I am. But you know, if you have <laughs> messages, and it's through your, you know, other applications or, you know, text messaging, you can export it and do it in a chronological order. We got a data dump, literally, without dates. It was just one long stream of. And they uh, show up in order of when the file uploaded. So I would have to go and yeah, try to it, figure out the, how to put them in order, chronological order. And and we were we were talking about like several hundred pages, and they didn't even. So it was a fucking nightmare, and 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 Diana had to go through it, and, and I, I no, I, I went through it for a few I minutes. I ignored and just it. Went, no, I ignored it, and then we had to go back and forth with the client to try and get it in some sort of format that we could actually handle. And generally, we tell clients try and export them, put them on a USB, do it in chronological format in conjunction with your chronology. But that didn't happen here, so. Diana had to go to therapy. We were able to unload it and then break it down. But what came out of that was a wealth of information of two people who documented their whole arguments and relationship through WhatsApp messaging. Know, I don't even know how they functioned because it seemed like they did nothing other than text each other every single day. You can see the timestamps. But that may be, right. look, they're younger than us. So it may be that's the way they do it. But I overtext sometimes. I do. I, I don't, but you know, um, it's a female problem. So they they had a an inordinate amount of real time documentation about their discussions and arguments throughout the time frame of the allegations, which spanned about two years. The relationship was about three years, mm -hmm. and allegedly the abuse started about six months or a year into the relationship. So we had messaging fairly consistent, documented, detailed messaging over a two-year span that we had to go through. But once we started to break that down, there was a lot of great nuggets in there. Oh, yeah. And, and it's really interesting because you don't always know what's going to be important until you really break down the yeah. statement properly. So that's something that we can get into a little bit later, too, how to figure out what's useful and what isn't, maybe. But we'll, we'll see where we go with this. But um, But... This is actually connects to why you don't give a statement to the police. You have to actually look at what you're accused of before you actually know what's relevant. Okay, so why don't you pause there and just give that advice pause. again. <laughs> pause. I know I'm famous for that. 
pause and just explain why it's so important when you're brought into the police station on an accusation to not give a statement. So first of all, the police don't have to actually tell you everything. So or or they can lie to you. Or they can actually lie to you. So when you're being told what you're accused of, you can't actually be sure if that's actually what you're accused of. Sometimes they don't even tell you who is accusing you. So they they leave you guessing. So it's very important to not say anything until you're given full disclosure of what it is you're being asked to answer to. Right. So we're fortunate. So in Canada, as of it is now, unless Justin Trudeau changes it, you have the right <laughs> to remain silent. Okay. So it's one of those hallmarks of the criminal justice system that if I you're accused of an offense, <laughs> yeah, well, well, who knows? You could change that too. I know. Um, and you're arrested. You don't have to give a statement to police. In other words, you can say, thank you, officer. It's very kind of you, but I don't want to answer those questions. And they can keep asking those questions for an inordinate amount of time. But you can keep saying, thank you very much, officer. No. Uh, or f*** you. I'm not going to answer those questions. Talk about avocado oil. Yeah. Talk about avocado oil, whatever you like. Talk about apple juice. But the reality is don't answer those questions. Why? Because this is not a game of poker. You don't have to answer questions not knowing what you're facing. You can stop. Don't answer any questions. Wait till you have your lawyer and get all the evidence from the crown and assess it and then speak to your lawyer and then you'll have the evidence upon which you're going to make comment. Mm -hmm. So giving a statement to police at the front end in a serious case is absolute folly. Yeah. I mean, in, in this case, if the guy was asked, have you ever been to a casino? That could have gone anywhere, right? And Absolutely. Be like, and he actually had gone to a casino before, but he wouldn't have had any clue. There's no way in the world he would have guessed what she accused him of. <laughs> and let's talk about something else, which is which we should say here. So when the police took the statement of this complainant, which had a number of very serious allegations, including yeah. sexual assault in this assault at the casino. <laughs> the police, with all due respect, did not follow up on any of these allegations to try and seek out any other evidence. So, for example, casinos, as you've said, have surveillance. And it was not so distant in time that they could have not gone to the casino to pull down surveillance. Not done. There were other witnesses who could have been interviewed because she said, in particular in her statement, I had said to my mother, I have to get out of here and the abuse. This was at the end of the relationship. Never interviewed the mother. There are no steps taken to interview anybody or seek out other evidence like the surveillance from the casino. Like, f***ing nothing. And I, and I got to say, I mean, we were kind of surprised how far this case went because when you look at the I'm not surprised anymore, but yeah. On the surface, you think... They got to have some serious doubts about it. But the reality is, is hashtag belief. Yeah. yeah. So so once we had the statement and we went through it in great detail, um, and then we had the benefit of finally going through those messages with a lot of therapy and, and trauma on our side, we were able to view um, that much of the allegations were bullshit. And then when we pulled out of it, who the police could have gone to to get evidence, and they didn't. And more importantly, based upon the assaults that were alleged, there was no medical reports. There was no um, real-time reporting from other witnesses about injuries. There was just nothing. And, and some of the assaults that were described were not insignificant, which, which the complainant described as resulting in, for example, a fractured uh, thumb, mm -hmm. um, bruising and injuries, and all sorts of stuff without any objective recording or any statements taken from any other party. So as you start to go through the disclosure and then have the benefit of going through the chronology of your client and go through 
what was this real-time messaging, we were able to pinpoint a lot of instances where not only were we dissecting the statement and saying, here's not supporting evidence, there's so much they could have gone to to get other evidence that it's kind of amazing nobody investigated the case properly. I'm just amused because what, what's the only picture of a bruise that showed up? It was a picture she sent. It was a faint where bruise. Where she said she did it to herself. Yeah, it was a fa- it was sent, faint bruise to her face. She sent a picture of a bruise saying, look what I did to myself. And he says, oh, I hate it when you do that. Can you not do that And she that did again? it because she was angry at herself. She self-harmed. Yeah, so that, that yeah. was the only evidence That's we had of a bruise. That's the only picture of which an actual injury that showed up, and it was self-harm. So, so for this part of this, so we were in the gathering phase of evidence. Mm-hmm. So we got the, the messages from our client. We got full disclosure. and then On we, a USB stick. Well, that's good. Okay. <laughs> I had Here's to go the online key. and delete my entire WhatsApp give us record. A, give it to us on a USB stick. <laughs> and then we decided to write to the Crown Attorney what was a memo about reasonable prospect of conviction. Mm-hmm. So can you explain how we did that in this case? And it resulted in them going, <laughs> we're going to prosecute. I know. So when we have something on the surface that's just like, this is not a good case. Um, you know, there's so many holes in it or... You know, we have something really compelling in our possession that can cause them to rethink it. Obviously, in the best interest of our clients to not have to go to trial. So, <clears throat> so we'll put together a package to send to the Crown to try and convince them that this is not a case that's, that's going to work out well for them. They should rethink it. And then we present them with um, some evidence of, you know, why the statement has so many holes in it and usually with something in our possession to, to back it up. Yeah, so it'll differ between cases, but in this case in particular, we drafted what we call this reasonable prospect conviction memo, where we outline in a document why we think their case is, is not solid. And we will selectively include messages that we have and other source documentation that will disclose at this early stage to the Crown Attorney, trying to convince them to withdraw. And, and lawyers are of different minds. Some lawyers are like, I don't want to disclose anything. Mm-hmm. And in the civil context, lawyers disclose things in their discovery process. We've always concluded that it's best for us to disclose and try and get charges withdrawn at an early stage. And that's something we do. And we laid it out for the Crown and nobody cared. No, I know. Did I, I didn't even think they nobody read cared. it. Nobody They didn't care. I don't think they even read it, actually, to tell you the truth. Yeah, no. There was like, there was like messages we disclosed that completely contradicted the complainant in particular with respect to the ending of the relationship and how she escaped this prison of hell with her client. And nobody f-ing read it. And not, and, and not just to criticize- I'm driving, careful. Not, not to criticize Crown because I know they're very busy and they can't get to things quickly, but- Yeah, but that's not an excuse when it comes to the judicious use of the prosecutorial power, which is an extremely strong power, which in this case resulted in our client having great difficulty in his divorce not relating to this lady, to have access to his children. Yeah. And so, for some people, there's like immigration issues. Where oh, they have tons to travel, of issues. You know, they're under restrictions. You know, it, it's, it's a hardship, actually, to be charged and, and have... The consequences of a charge yeah. and the stigma and the long-lasting implications of it are not something that's, that can be underestimated. And in this case, it resulted in his own family court case and being denied access to his, his child. So that's very serious, but nobody read this. Nobody read our our application appropriately or assessment. And then we had to move on to the next phase, which was once we start to have reviewed everything. So 
because people wanted us to actually talk about this, the case study, we, we laid out this memo, which helped us also have a sort of memo breaking down everything with respect to the ins and outs of the case. We explained this to the client. We wanted to move forward. Mm -hmm. But also part of that is just, just to make it clear, like we said, we got all these messages. It was a lot of time to go through and figure out which ones are relevant. Talk about that for a moment. So like, you know, we, when we had a lot of messages, like yeah. nearly a thousand. And I know. And uh, so when you... Um, it's time consuming. <laughs> when you have that many, it's like, there's certain time frames we can focus on because uh, the allegations take place in a certain time frame. But there's also a value to, to reading through the entire thing just to get a sense of the dynamic of the relationship because right. narrative is not a portal for either the defense or the, the prosecution to bring in irrelevant evidence. But the narrative is always part of understanding because you get two people, nobody knows them in court. The judge doesn't know them, the jury doesn't know them. So they have to get a sense of who they are. And so sometimes these messages will actually be very useful to show a different dynamic. And I think, and, and, and what's the, what that was, that was what, a big aspect of this case. Right. In fact. So, so let's talk about this because he was charged with assault, uttering threats, assault with a weapon, mm -hmm. also sexual assault. So we were in a box, I'm not going to say sex in a box, <laughs> right. but we were in a box about what we could and could not use because of the sexual assault charge. Sex in a box is an actual phrase that we talked about. Too. The, the crown and the court system wants to force us into a position on sex assault cases that nothing is relevant other than what happened on that particular night and that particular Moments. moment. Yeah. Now, we've had... Unless it's them, where they want to have a narrative that builds up to it. Unless it's the crown. Yeah. So we had a wealth of information from almost the start of their relationship right to the end of their relationship. Mm -hmm. That showed that she was actually controlling him. Correct. She was monitoring his social media. She was stalking his... his she actually demanded his password. So this stuff you wouldn't. So, it's so not directly, say this slow. Pause. Yeah. Say it slowly so everybody gets it, because this is really important when we talk about, you know, course of control. What was she doing? Slowly tell everybody, and so, what we found out through all the messaging. So this part in the messages, you wouldn't actually have thought to look even in that particular moment. Well, except there were communications after she left him, but um, but she actually was reaming him out because. He had changed his password to his social media after she left him, and she still wanted to have access to his, his messages. Right. So what we discovered was prior to the police being involved, it was very clear based upon the messaging that the complainant had access to his Facebook and Instagram uh, accounts, had the passwords, and was monitoring him for a long period of time. And checking his search history because she knew he deleted his search history. Okay, so pause. So this is very important because she was exercising a significant degree of control to monitor his activity, okay? And as well, it turned out, he, d he, he, he was abiding by her rules, mm -hmm. okay? The relationship was dysfunctional, but he was abiding by her rules. And because there's a sex assault allegation, in order to get in this evidence that you would think would be normally relevant to understand what the f actually happened between these people, we have to bring this in motion, thanks to Justin. And get approval. To have everything vetted and to get approval and prove that it's relevant and not prejudicial and not unduly invasive to the privacy interests of the complainant, even though it's her actions. I know. And the fight that we get back on this, and, and we'll get into this in a later episode. Probative. The huge fight we get back on this is none of this is relevant. How's it not relevant? 
And so this was a two-year history of information about a dynamic where she was controlling and monitoring him and leading up to the alleged allegations. You would, you would imagine throughout all these communications and through all this monitoring and everything else, something would be mentioned about this abuse. Something would be mentioned about his control of her, and it's not that case. But to get this evidence in, because of Justin, we have to f***ing ask the court, and we have to please beg the court that it's allowable. Right. And so actually, we both had in our hands like two parts of the application, but I think we should leave it at she was monitoring his Facebook while claiming to be absolutely controlled and having no contact with anybody and being sequestered and and uh, in prison, imprisoned, basically imprisoned. And then this kind of thing comes out. So oh, well, just just let's give a better cliffhanger. Here's to not letting people have your password. <laughs> OK, I'll, I'll do that. So let's just let's just let's just hang on a on a on a, okay. on a cliffhanger here. So so. Okay. Okay. So there's even more coming up in these. In okay. These so this is really important. We're going to do this in a three part series. So in this complainant statement, she said, things were so bad over the last month. I was in prison. I was being beaten every day. I was sexually assaulted. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't move without him taking me to my mother's or back. I, I was in prison. I couldn't go anywhere else. Um, and, and towards the last week I was literally beaten every single day. And then, the oh yeah, I happened. know which I know which one you're going to talk about. The moment happened. It was. A Did he finally moment. left the house, and she called her mother? And I don't want anybody who's a feminist or something else to say no, I'm and, some and I, an asshole. This does happen <clears throat> to some people. Like the no, it does. But this case was like such bullshit, and this just shows how you got to look at the whole story, right? So mm -hmm. it's like, I finally called my mother. I finally told her about the abuse. She said, okay. I left with nothing but my I'm, purse. I, I, I just escaped my with back. my passport, my purse, and all his money. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and, um, you know, and I called her and she was going to take me to the hospital because he broke my thumb. Okay. So when you read this, you're like, oh my God, this is horrible. Poor thing. Like, this is f***ing awful. And like this does happen. But then when you look at the messaging, because these two people messaged every minute of every day about everything that went on, you get a completely different story. So we'll get into that next, but I'm just going to leave it this. You cannot get this evidence in because of Justin. Justin had Without, decided well, you can, but you have to bring a whole application first. No, no, but this is Justin's doing. Mm -hmm. we, we know who we're talking about, right? Okay. So Justin has put in this legislation that we have to vet every single message that we have in our possession bef before a judge to see if it's admissible, if it's not prejudicial or invades privacy and all that other stuff. And you commonly get, when you do these applications, as we've said in a number of our podcasts, a fight from the Crown and the complainant's lawyer that it's not relevant. Because you know what? They don't want the truth to come out with all due respect. So let's hang on that for a moment because this is a real f***ing... I'm getting there, honey. This is a real case where we won the motion eventually, yeah. but this is one where there could have been a major miscarriage of justice if we were not able to get in the messages that we did because it f***ing told the truth. And here's the one thing to tell you. We did a mid-trial application, and when I got when we won that one, she f***ing wouldn't come back for cross-examination. And you'll, you'll understand why once we get through this series. But I, I just actually... It was, 
realized something as we were talking about Justin and 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 I, I feel the same way about it. I just want to point out it had tri-party support. So even if I wasn't Justin. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Politicians are going to stand up for f***ing truth seeking and not wrongful convictions. Good night. Thank you for watching. Oh, like, subscribe, share. Hit click, notifications. Click notifications and just give me a thumbs up, motherfuckers. Leave comments okay. and ask us questions.